0: Welcome to the Breaking the Stars podcast where we feature stories of people with non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we feature the story of Everett Taylor. You all may know him as the chief marketing officer of Skirt, but what you may not know is that he was homeless in high school and dropped out of college as well. This is one of the best marketing episodes that we've ever had where he talks about how to break into the marketing role at a technology company, what the marketing uh, day-to-day life looks like, how to position your way if you want to break into a startup if you've never had corporate experience, um, how he hires at skirt, um, and a lot of other interesting things as well. For those of you that don't know, he there are roughly 58,000 homeless students on college campuses in the United States, and a lot of times people don't want to share that information, so the numbers actually much much higher so all of you that are offering diversity scholarships and financial aid for people trying to get not just into college and high school but also into these coding boot camps, realize that's just a part of the problem you know people are still struggling to find shelter a place to take a shower food to eat and things like that so um but shout out to everybody that's trying to create solutions for the problem if you want to learn more about homelessness and marketing and coding make sure you check out episode eight by neil shaw talking about code tenderloin and the partnerships that he established to help people learn how to code um, it's an amazing episode shout out to dell um make sure you tell your friends about the podcast join our community on facebook tell your friends subscribe and leave a review check it out growing up we're told that in order to be successful you need to be a banker a doctor or a lawyer that's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies, Art and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
1: Yeah, so we broke into App Academy's offices today. And we're recording out of their conference room overlooking the stunning view of the bay. Uh, we usually record our episodes in the evenings, but today we have a special guest in town visiting from L.A. Uh, so we're recording this interview at 6.30 a.m. on a Wednesday morning. As we're chatting right now, the sun is coming up. We can actually see the cars now crossing the Bay Bridge into the city. And we're about to jump into this dope discussion with our guest, Arthur. Take it over. Thanks. So today I'm super excited. Uh, we're speaking with Everett Taylor who is a serial entrepreneur who has led marketing efforts at several startups, most recently a CMO or chief marketing officer at Skurt, a mobility startup delivering rental cars on demand. He was recently announced as the national brand ambassador for the NASA Startup Initiative, which we'll talk a little bit more during the interview. And um, whatever it is really like well known for is he's one of the original founders of growthhackers.com with Sean Ellis which is the go-to source for everything growth marketing related. If you're in the space, you've definitely heard of it. It has a ton of useful hacks and strategies for acquiring users. And it's really the authority on the subject. But um, Everett, you're only 27 years old. You've done a lot of things. You've been cover- Your story has been covered in a lot of publications. You've been flying around the world, speaking at conferences. You're actually in San Francisco today to speak at Startup Grind which is a really cool startup conference here in San Francisco. But tell us a little about yourself and kind of how you got here, because your story has been told before. But today we're going to talk about a side of your story that you haven't shared as much publicly. So tell us about kind of how you got here and how you got involved with Skirt.
2: Yeah, man. First of all, thanks for having me, guys. It's early as hell, um, <laughs> but it's, it's good to be here. So yeah, I'm, I'm currently at Skirt. And uh, you know, a lot of people ask me just because of my my serial entrepreneurial roots, you know, why join a company like Skirt? And uh it's funny, I met the founders of Skirt back in two thousand fifteen, summer two thousand fifteen. And at the time, you know, I was currently CMO of another company called Sticker Mule, which is a very, very popular startup, e-commerce company. And um I met these guys at Troy Carter's spot at Adam Factory which he leads cross culture ventures and you know these these founders come up to me and they they say hey we got this amazing idea we want to do this we want to do that and essentially they wanted to deliver cars within the airport and i was like well that's really really convenient but i think you guys are going to have some issues you know i saw the the issues that uber and lyft went went through you know trying to go inside the airport and you know i didn't know if that would be a stable you know business model to do that solely and you know they were still so 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 young you know fast forward a year later I and mean, you know we we kept in touch and you know these guys had raised their seed round they had put a better business model in place and you know it's something that struck me and inspired me because at the end of the day the mission of the company is to provide affordable access to mobility and a lot of people don't know you know, this about me and we're getting into things that most people don't know about. But when I was a kid, I didn't get to go on vacation. I never really got to leave, you know, Richmond, Virginia, because I didn't have, my mom didn't have that affordable access to mobility. You know, I never really got to leave the few blocks from my hood. You know, I, I stayed where I was. If we used to say, if the bus don't go there, we don't go there. Right. And so there's so many people within, you know, inner cities and urban communities that, never really get to explore and see things. I know when I go home, it sucks because I'm like, man, I see my homeboys and I'm like, you really haven't seen the world. You really haven't seen something you know, outside of what we know. And I think that's what is so important about a company like Skirt and why I'm so inspired to work at a company like Skirt because as a marketer, this is something that I'm able to make a true impact on people's lives. Everything I've done to this point has been purely for capital gain, getting a a higher position or a better title or the products that we're selling aren't really changing people's lives. Like, yeah, stickers are cool as shit, but like, yo, you're not changing anybody's lives at the end of the day. And so that's what really, really inspired me to go there is the, the impact that I could truly have on people's lives. And at this point, with the success I've already had in my career, the money doesn't matter as much and all these things doesn't matter as much as truly having an impact on people's lives. Yeah.
0: And not not to go too deep into what Skirt does, but we talked a little bit about some of the misconceptions that Skirt is. Like some people think it's like what we say. Like get around. It or might be car. like zip car or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, what the differences are, you know, what affordable mobility really means and then we can start unpacking everything else.
2: Yeah. So first of all, you starting with affordability Companies like Get Around and Zipcar are really based around hourly rates. And if you keep a car for an entire day, it's going to be very, very expensive. Talk about your lift ride on the way here. (laughs) The lift ride I took last night just from the airport cost me 35 bucks. And that was one way. You know, I went to go see a friend that was 35, 40 bucks. Last weekend, um, my friend was in town in LA and we just went from downtown to Santa Monica and it cost me 40 bucks one way skirt on an average you know, weekday is going to only cost you $21 for the entire day. So it provides you you know, that affordable access to mobility and also for the people that don't have a zip car around them or don't have a get around car around them. We actually deliver it straight to your door or wherever you are. And then once you're done, we pick that up and then you have the flexibility to keep that car as long as you, as you need to and, and continue to, to extend through the app through a seamless experience. This isn't someone else's car, right? And you don't have that feeling. Like if you've ever rented a car through Get Around a Tour or something like that, the feeling of like messing up someone else's car is like, it kind of takes away from the experience. And so I think that's a huge factor for us. And and the last thing is we want to be able to provide these cars to as many as people as possible without having the same roadblocks that people go through with traditional rental car companies. Like you can be 21 and up with us You can use a debit card, which, you know, Mm -hmm. rental car companies cut off so many people by requiring a credit card. You know, I didn't have a credit card for a very, very long time. In urban communities, you're told, like, no credit cards. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been a pleasure seeing what we've been able to do and how we've we've really made a difference by by providing world-class app experience and being able to provide affordable access. So people
0: that are trying to break into a startup if they're skirting your city, that's like a good option and it helps you get around.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's definitely a great option, whether you're running errands or you need to take, you know, a vacation or get away and take long distance trips. We have unlimited miles, which you can't get everywhere else, you know? So it's, uh, I'm probably forgetting other things that make us great. Just use us, like just try it out. And for our
1: listeners, so you're the chief marketing officer for a startup. That's like you mentioned, you guys are relatively young. You're, out there trying to gain new new users. So can you describe like a typical day in your life as a chief marketing officer and what type of things you do day-to-day, what type of meetings you have and what's top mind for someone like you? Yeah, we're still so young. We, we actually just
2: announced our series A yesterday mm-hmm. on TechCrunch. Congrats. And thank you. And, you know, people... I was just talking to these guys about how, you know, I'm getting all these salespeople in my inbox and I'm like, man, I'm still, I still got to stay lean. I still have to, you know, get strong ROI. And that's my mindset going into the office every day. Now, every day looks different for me, but there's a few things every day that I strive to do. Number one, you know, I'm at a point in my career where I feel like I'm more of the facilitator and the optimizer of people, you know? Obviously, I still have to roll my sleeves up. I still have to get dirty. But one thing that people have to understand is that when you are an executive at a company, it's about making the people around you better. Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily about you taking all of the shine. And a lot of people forget that. You know, just because of the things I accomplished in my career does not mean that I need to lead everything or take credit for everything. I want to put other people in positions of success. And so, Every day that I come into the office, before I come into the office, I actually take a minute to think about how I can make the people on my team more successful and how I can influence and impact other parts of the business, you know, mm-hmm. from my perspective. And that's what I try to do every day. And, you, you know, I've seen I've had jobs where I didn't have bosses or, or people that led me that really put me in positions of strength or mm-hmm. really wanted to teach me and help me become a better, you know, a better marketer, a better employee. So that's number one. Number Mm. two is that when it comes to growth marketing, I'm very, very big on return on investment and putting process in place. And so those are the two things that is extremely important for me. And, you know, at Skirt, I'm constantly finding ways to drive customer acquisition costs down, to retain more users, and to also optimize on, you know, word of mouth virality right? Mm -hmm. Because that's the cheapest and most strongest form of marketing. I tell people all the time, why did you download an app? And most of the time, it's because a friend told you about it. It's not because you saw some Facebook ad. It's not because of some like growth hack or whatever. This is real human shit, you know, Mm -hmm. that people have to, you know, really interact with people that influence them. And then it's your job from a product and growth perspective, right? To maintain those users and keep them coming back. Mm -hmm. And so that's, those are the types of problems that I'm trying to solve, solve daily is 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 you know creating a better business model, driving down customer acquisition costs, finding unique ways to not only acquire users, but also retain users. And I work really, really closely with product because at the end of the day, the real secret to marketing is a great product. Mm-hmm. The closer and closer you get to product market fit, the more you'll have that word of mouth growth. And a lot of people don't realize, you know, they come to me and they say, yo, what growth hack should I do, you know, and things like that. And I was like, yo, check out your product. You know, that's a huge part of the advice and the input that marketing can give to product is priceless.
1: Yeah. And we talk about um, team a lot on this podcast and the different roles people have on the team. A lot of people, when they think about an app or they think about a title, they think that that person is solely responsible for bringing that product to market. But like you mentioned that, like as an executive, your, your job is to empower the team. So, tell us a little bit about the team members that you work with on a daily basis, what their responsibilities are, what type of roles fall under a marketing organization at a startup. And then, when you look to hire those folks, what qualities do you look for? Right. So, yeah, we have, you know, four
2: people that I work with on my team. Um, One is uh, Julia. She's actually my marketing coordinator. Shout Um, out Julia. Yeah, Julia with a G, uh, by the way. Um, She's amazing. And so Julia, she is the quintessential, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and get dirty and do everything that that we need to do and be scrappy. And so as a marketing coordinator, you know, she's managing like our brand ambassador program and she is helping out, you know, with like our weekly emails and life cycle marketing. She's really that person that's doing all of the little things and I think for a marketing organization you always need someone that is maybe more junior but just hungry and willing to put in the time and put in the work. And so she's been really 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 impressive doing, you know, contests and giveaways and like event marketing. We try to be everywhere. Like any event where our target demo is, we try to be there. And she's been really, really successful in that. And so she's been really like a jack of all trades for me to kind of put out there like a Swiss army knife. And then I have uh, Peter Pryor who came to us from Uber. And you talk about a jack of all trades. This kid is amazing. Not only is he assisting with our brand ambassador program, but he's doing design. He's doing You know, literally everything that I ask for him, you know, when I talk about these roles, you know, they have different responsibilities. But at the end of the day, when you're in a startup, you have to wear so many different hats that it's really no super, super defined roles, roles here. But he's definitely more of a technical marketer. And he, you know, especially when it comes to design and things like that, helping out with the lifecycle marketing process, digging through data. He's been super, super um, important for me. For the people that don't know, what's the lifestyle marketing process? Lifecycle marketing. So essentially, it's everything from onboarding, you know, onboarding when you get on the app to the emails that you get, the push notifications that you get. So it's everything from the onboarding process to, you know, gain you as a user as soon as you hop on a website or you hop on an app to, you know, your, your first purchase or your first use. And- that process of like retaining you and, and keeping you in that those retention loops through email and like the best marketers are able to retain users through their lifecycle marketing like how yeah. many of you you know hadn't used Lyft in a while and you get a push notification that says you know five dollar rides for your next five rides on Lyft like mm-hmm. those are strong lifecycle marketing tactics
1: yeah so what would you say um, it kind of is the breakdown of the skills that these people came in already knowing? versus the skills that I took acquire on the job in order to accommodate with whatever Skirt is doing at this moment in time. Yeah, so I didn't even get around to
2: everybody, but I have some awesome people on my yeah, team. Yeah, let's shout let's out. actually also shout out the yes, other so ones yes, shout, so. out. Shout, shout out too. To, yeah, yeah, shout out to Max, shout out to Polo. And uh, what
1: are, what are quickly what do
2: each of them do as well? Um, Max is the performance marketing manager. Mm-hmm. Um so he's doing everything from ad operations, Facebook, mm-hmm. Instagram, App Store Optimization, App Store Ads. Mm-hmm. Like he, paid marketing type paid, stuff. Essentially paid marketing mm-hmm. type it's like, stuff. not like the SEM stuff? Yeah, SEM, That's Google Ads. That stands AdWords. for search, search Engine Marketing. Uh, search Engine Marketing. Mm-hmm. So you guys got to understand there's a difference between SEO, which is Search Engine Optimization, and SEM, which is mm-hmm. uh, Search Engine Optimization. Now you have ASO, which is App Store Optimization. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different things, but he focuses more on the data side and the paid acquisition side for us, and then Paulo, who's the creative director, is a UX genius. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's, a, he's he just has god given talent. He's a high school dropout. And wow. He, Sounds uh, like we got to get him on the podcast. Yeah, he uh, <laughs> he's just when it comes to you know creating video content, and he's the one who's designing the app and doing all those those different marketing features that I need. He's just UX amazing. meaning user experience. User experience. Sorry, yeah, user experience in helping define design our u- user interface. Like, you know, he's arguably one of the most important people because he's really controlling that user experience. Yeah, like if your product could be great, but if people don't know how to use it, yeah, then it doesn't matter. And yeah. we've had some huge wins recently just from things we've been able to do in the product. But just to to look at everybody that's that's come onto the team, Julia for instance, you know, she was a community manager and I saw she had no previous marketing experience. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I saw her there and at a startup, you have to take a step back and look at the people around you and say, hey, are these people being used to the best of their abilities? Mm -hmm. And one thing that you see with a lot of women and minorities and underrepresented groups are that they're in these positions where they're not being utilized to to their best abilities and they're not, you know, they aren't able to continue to move up, and so she was an early employee, but you know she wasn't being utilized. And so you know I saw that she was hardworking and willing to learn. So she literally knew knew nothing, and now she's doing some design stuff. She's learned some design skills. She's learned you know how to do email marketing. Um, mm-hmm. She's learned how to manage people. She's managing our brand ambassador program. Mm-hmm. So she's like acquiring all these skills. Peter from Uber you know, he was just leading, you know, brand ambassadors and he's literally picked up so many technical marketing skills in terms of like utilizing data, you know, doing design, you know, building landing pages. um, So it's for A-B testing? For A-B testing or to acquire emails or for any contest that we're running. So really just, you know, completely just had to learn on the fly and really acquire those skills. And I push those guys every day to, to learn more. You know, he's, He's about to start learning some life life cycle marketing stuff for through Mixpanel. He's about to mm-hmm. learn ad operations and things like that. So I'm really proud of him. And then like Paulo, for instance, he uh, you know this was like his first real 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 job. Um, How old and, is he by the way? Uh, he's twenty. On. He just turned twenty six. Okay, I believe twenty five, twenty six. And you know he's from Atlanta, not from the startup Shout space. Out ATL. You know startup <laughs> space at all you know, comes from, you know, a family that that were Brazilian immigrants. And he really, he went from being a okay designer that was super creative to a world-class designer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm really, really proud of him and how he thinks about product, how he thinks about design and the user experience. So all of them. And it sounds like you
0: have like a lot of data that's coming in too. A lot of people, when they think about marketing roles, they think about it as like this, like feel good, like Let's do yeah. these awesome, fun events and social media. Yeah. But, you know, we talk about this a lot. Like, how do you guys think about data? How do you manage data? And why is data really important in this role yes. for someone that wants to get into it?
2: So data is the, the foundation of everything we we do. You know, before that, I talked about, you know, making sure that you're getting a return on investment in everything you're doing. And, you know, first of all, we set a process in place that is very, very data focused. Right. so. When you have an idea, when you have an idea, um, you use Growth Hackers Projects, shout out to Growth Hackers, which is a product that I started working on before I actually left Growth Hackers, but Growth Hackers Projects and you enter an idea, right? So say you have an idea to do whatever, right? We're going to do this influencer campaign or whatever. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you have to write a hypothesis on what type of impact that you think you're, you're going to make. And what KPIs is it going to push? And KPIs is key performance indicators. Mm-hmm. So that could be you know, install, app installs. That could be bookings. That could be website visits. Those are what your KPIs could be. And so before you even get started, you know what key performance indicators you're trying to drive before you even get started. And mm-hmm. a lot of marketers in the traditional space, they say, hey, we want to do this campaign. And they're not even... They don't even have a focus on what you know metrics they're really, really trying to move. So mm-hmm. before even anything gets started, we do that. And then we also look at it through the ICE acronym. And the ICE acronym is Impact, Confidence, and Ease. So how impactful is this campaign going to be? Mm-hmm. How confident are you going to be? You know, you have people that jump out the window and say, I think we could do this. And it's like, yo, how confident are you in this? And then the Ease. How many resources is it going to take? Are we going to need a lot of engineering resources? Can we do this ourselves? Can you do this yourself? How mm-hmm. easy mm-hmm. is this to implement? And then from there, once you're actually putting the campaign into process, you have clear KPIs and clear goals mm-hmm. to meet and to see whether this is is successful or not. So it's really establishing that process. and And growth is really about establishing you know scalable processes throughout your organization that are repeatable Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that and you know when people come into startup marketing they're they're like or to think about marketing they're like yo i'm just going to do a whole bunch of creative stuff and it's like yeah you you're going to do creative stuff but you're going to use data to come up with creative things you know for instance you know when i was at sticker mule we saw a huge drop off from people from europe and we realized that our our using our creativity by looking at that data, we realized that they didn't understand our units of measurement, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't know what an inch was, right? Mm-hmm. And so by being able to A-B test that and flip that and that they could see their units of, of measurement really, really help boost conversions or, you know, we see that people are dropping off from, you know, trying to book a car mm-hmm. and it's because, hey, what what's going on here, you know? But it takes that creativity to figure out that problem, but the data is what reveals the problem. Like reveals like what's going on and what you need to solve. And so that's really, really huge for us. And like if you're not using data, you're practically driving blind, essentially. You don't know what you're doing. And every day that you're in a startup, that you're wasting time, wasting money, wasting resources on something that's not working, or you don't have clear metrics that you're trying to push, then you're really really not going to be successful.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like by the way, just sitting here and listening to you, I'm already learning a lot, especially like the ice acronym. That's amazing. We're definitely going to try to implement it for our for breaking into startups. It sounds like this role specifically, it's not something that you can just go to a, uni- a university and study how to become a growth marketer. For all of our listeners who are listening right now, how should they go about acquiring the skills to be able to understand all the terms that you just uh, mentioned um, a second ago.
0: Aside from listening to the podcast.
1: Yeah, aside (laughs) from listening to the podcast. So number one, I mean, I might be a little bit of a homer
2: for saying this, but Mm growthhackers.com is a huge resource. It's something that I wish I had Mm -hmm. um, when I was coming up because not only are you getting the best growth articles every day, you can also easily search for different things that you want to learn. And, and I tell people all the time is just take it one thing at a time. Like say, hey, I really want to learn you know, SEO. And so I'm going to do a deep dive in, dive in SEO. I'm going to read articles about SEO. There's so many online. There's tutorials on YouTube. There's websites like Udemy where you can take courses just on SEO. You can take courses just on how to do Facebook ads or Google AdWords and SEM. And so I would take it one thing at a time, but the best way to learn is to start your own shit. And really, you know, whether it's like a Shopify store where you're selling t-shirts or, you know, for me, it was like throwing, you know, parties and events. And I know Ruben knows, knows about that. Like whatever it is, start figuring out through small projects of your own, you know, how to do these different things. If for instance, I I said the Shopify store, Mm -hmm. like, you're like, okay, I have a Shopify store and I'm selling these t-shirts. You know, how am I going to gain traction on social media, inquire mm-hmm. users through social media? How am I going to get people to sign up for my email list, right? How am I going to create content that's enticing for people? How, you know, these are the things that you that you really can do with small, you know, with small, very, very small projects and really gaining that experience. Because I mm-hmm. know for me, and we'll get into it yeah. later, I had to do that to look good to be an employee within a startup company.
1: Yeah, I know that. Like in this space, there's a lot of so-called like growth hacker authorities or like people like growth hacking gurus who sell a lot of courses. Some of them are a couple thousand dollars, and I think that a lot of people who are new to this field sometimes might get uh, necessarily like misled by some of the promises that these courses make. So I wanted to get your perspective on, like, let's say, if I want to acquire. Skills that you mentioned here, would you recommend signing up for these like expensive courses? Or do you think people could find it for free online if they do enough research? You can find a lot of this stuff for free
2: online. And, you know, there are some great books out there. The one I do want to mention that's coming out, I think, next month mm-hmm. is called Hacking Growth by Sean Ellis and Morgan Brown, who I mm-hmm. started Growth Hackers with. Mm-hmm. And this will be literally the definitive, I've been reading it already, it will be the definitive book on growth marketing Mm -hmm. and so all this stuff is online guys you just gotta really look for it and search for it and things like that and growth hackers is a great tool because you say you find an article online Mm -hmm. it's probably on growth hackers so what you should do is take the title of that article search for it on growth hackers see how much has been upvoted see how much has been commented on see if that's something that's actually really really valuable because some of that stuff is bs some of that stuff Mm -hmm. is spammy it's not real you know, tactical growth. Mm. And one thing you have to realize is that learn from the experiences of other people, but the best knowledge you're gonna get is from your own experiences because what worked for somebody else isn't gonna work for you Mm. and your company. You know, What works for Get Around, what works for Turo and Zipcar is not necessarily gonna work for Skirt. Um, And so look at that and look more so of of how the process, like I stress, stress the process, What kind of process did they put together to get to that point? Not Mm -hmm. necessarily what they did, but the type of process that they're putting in place.
0: And people that are in school, you know, they can, you know, if they're running a bake sale or part of some kind of Latino group in school and doing community events, like you could apply these growth marketing tactics and be like, okay, I did this. I analyzed this. This was the impact, the, the confidence I had in it, the ease of it. And then like you could put that type of stuff on your resume and people don't even think about like side things that they've done that they can put on their resume that would look good in your eyes if they applied to a skirt later on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I was in a fraternity Alpha Phi Alpha when I was in college. And man, when I tell you we literally had the best marketing. I'm 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 gonna like (laughs) swipe my shoulder on that one. We had the best marketing. I mean, you talk about video before video was popping, like everything that we did, we made sure that we did video production to market, we had you know, the flyers would have themes to them, like, like not just one flyer, but consecutive flyers and teasers and, like, all these different things. We really thought about the journey and the the life cycle of, you know, the people that we were trying to convert into people going to our events or our parties and things like that. And so, yeah, if you can sit there and say, look, I was at this fraternity, I was at this organization, this is what I did. Last year, we sold this many tickets. I implemented these tactics. And we were able to see a 10x, 10x, 10x. 10x, 10x. <laughs> uh, we were able to see, you know, a 10x boost in, in what we did over the previous year. Those things, to me, from a junior marketing perspective, is like, wow, I like that because, as you can see with the people that's currently on my team, you know, they weren't super skilled or or super knowledgeable. But it's that understanding of process, understanding of people that goes beyond data, right? That emotional intelligence that is required. Those are the types of things that I look for because everything can be taught. Everything can be taught at the end of the day. So there are certain intangibles that I look for. Yeah,
1: And I think in this day and time, startups especially value skill. And what you just described, it's a skill that you can learn and you can apply to so many different business ventures. And when you are interviewing for a startup, you're not just asking for a job. You're just telling them, listen, if you hire me, these are the campaigns that I've done. These are the results that I did for those businesses if you want to grow your user base then i know how to implement x y and z and then this will result in this many users so you're actually giving startups almost like this pathway of how they can grow their user base and for startups especially before series a and series a series b user growth and user acquisitions it's one of the biggest metrics that they're valued on so from day one as you're applying for all these jobs you're you're literally presenting yourself as the person who will move the needle so I think that's a super valuable skill. I'm curious, when you were hiring the people who are on your team now, what were the things that convinced you to give them that shot? You know, to
2: make a point is, I want to make a point here is that I look for the intangibles and I also look for, hey, I've done something of this before. Like even Mm -hmm. if it wasn't purely marketing, here's the thing. You can get a candidate and that went to to Cal Berkeley and did a Stanford MBA mm-hmm. and didn't really have any real, real working experience or, or, or something to show, right? Or you can get someone that, hey, you know, maybe I, you know, I those people may understand the theory and it's nothing against them because there's been some amazing entrepreneurs and, and tech workers that have come out of those schools. But to me, I'm looking more for that person that I don't care what school, I don't care if you graduated, you know, school, right? What have you done that you can implement here and help move the needle? Right. And when you do those things that you're talking about, we were just previously talking about, that shows me that you have an acumen for moving a needle and being very big on, you know, ROI. And so for me, what I really look for at this stage is, is a little bit different, right? If we're a series B, series C, it'd be a little bit different. But at this stage, I'm really, really looking for people that's going to be hungry, that are going to make, you know, the sacrifices that have a natural understanding of consumer psychology and of people, right? And that's something that a lot of people don't get. You know, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of growth marketers and analytical marketers like from the Bay Area and man, they can tell you that, you know, they can run all these cohorts and they can tell you all these different data things, but when it comes to people and understanding people, they just don't get it. I'm like, "Yo, I can teach someone how to use Mixpanel. I can teach someone how to use Rj Metrics or or you know, run A/B tests, you know. But what I can't teach them is the ability to truly understand people and be able to take a step back and look at things from a bigger picture.
1: Yeah, and when you say understand people, do you mean what motivates someone, or what do you mean by understand people? So
2: I always talk about MVC, uh, most valuable customer. You know, customer profile, and it's understanding what your target audience looks like. Where do they reside in a digital and physical space? How do you catch that person's attention? How do you retain that person? And how do you make that person as successful as possible through marketing and Mm -hmm. through product? Those are the things that I'm constantly thinking
1: about and I want people that can understand that as well. Yeah, and how do you segment that or how do you identify the most valuable customer? Because let's say like there might be the universe of potential people who might want to rent a car is pretty huge. So how do you isolate the people you could add the most impact to?
2: Yo, talk to people, man. Like <laughs> if you take time to talk to your most valuable customers, like and when, when I say most valuable customers, these are the people that are repeatedly coming back that are using us. Like, We have people, I'm like, yo, why don't you just buy a car? Like it's crazy how much you use us, right? <laughs> and actually having conversations with these people and mm-hmm. figuring out, hey, how did you hear about Skirt? Why do you use Skirt? Mm-hmm. What do you love about Skirt? What don't you love about Skirt? right? And then you're starting to form like, okay, our most valuable users are in this age range. They live in these areas. They do these things. They use us in these ways. Mm -hmm. And how can we craft our messaging and how can we craft our campaigns to target those people, right? Because when you're at a startup, you have limited resources. Mm -hmm. So you need to hit those niche audiences, Mm -hmm. right? You can't think about like just trying to blast everybody. You have Mm -hmm. to be able to hone in on what those audiences and when you're creating custom audiences on Facebook and Google AdWords Mm -hmm. and things like that, you have to know what those people look like. So you are getting the you know, the Mm -hmm. the biggest return on your dollar. Awesome. That's good. That's good feedback. And when you're thinking
0: about your content that you're creating and you're focused on your most valuable customer. And I know you have limited resources. So at this point, you know, you have this broad audience, but you want to focus on targeting your most valuable customer, do you just ignore everybody else while you're growing? Or is your content appealing to everybody, but you have like tailored messaging in addition going to the most valuable customer? Yeah,
2: you want to you create content that is going to be super valuable for your niche audience, but it's evergreen in a way that it's going to help other people. For instance, we put this article together about rental car insurance. And uh-huh. so if any of you guys rented, rented cars before, you know, when you go to the rental car counter, they always try to sell you insurance. Mm-hmm. The thing is, is if you own your own car or you're using a credit card, a lot of times you don't have to buy insurance. And most people don't know mm-hmm. when they should or should not buy rental car insurance. Now, does this help our target customer? Absolutely. But does that help out a lot of other people that may get attracted to skirt that may never hurt a skirt and like, Damn! Like, when should I buy a rental car insurance? Mm-hmm. Like, I never knew knew that. I yeah. just learned something. Oh, and this is from Skirt. What is Skirt? Let me check this out. Boom! Got you. Retargeting your ass. Like, we're we're gonna get you. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> we're gonna get you. You know, some way, some somehow. You know, and so yeah, you can still build things for your niche niche audiences, but at the end of the day, still provide value for a lot of people. Got yeah. it. Got yeah. It. So let, let's let's talk about NASA. You know,
0: how did that happened i mean you you talked about how you grew up it's timely there's a lot of things that was going on you know talk about a black man being the national brand ambassador for nasa how did that happen
2: yo it's crazy you know shout out to them so essentially i spoke at black enterprise last year and mm-hmm. this when you hear this story think about like i think black enterprise was back in october and this just happened And so you know, your blessings and things that happen in your life, sometimes it takes time. It's not going to happen right away. I was speaking at Black Enterprise when I did a one-on-one with Tristan Walker, which was dope. You can check that out on YouTube. And then also I received an award for Social Influencer of the Year from Black Enterprise. And so one, a lady by the name of Jenea Griffin, who works in their technology transfer, she saw me there. She was super impressed by you know, the one-on-one with me and Tristan, she loved my background. And then when she saw the social influencer award, she was like, yo, this guy, like, you know, you don't see too many tech people with big social, social followings. And so she went to see that and she was like, wow, I want to work with this guy. And she met me and we had great rapport and we was like, yo, we're going to, we got to find some way to work together. And I was like, what, NASA checks? I was like, (laughs) NASA checks? Word? I was like, cool. Nah, I'm joking. But you know, NASA was in, is an organization, you know, that, you know, is near and dear to me. I've always been um, fascinated by space, you know, space exploration and things like that. And, you know, wanted to work with NASA as a kid, you know? So, it, you know, it's been an amazing opportunity. So, you know, after months of, you know, talking and figuring things out, you know, we came to the decision to to make me the national brand ambassador for their startup initiative and their technology mm-hmm. transfer program. And they give you more information there. Um, essentially what they do is they, Allow aspiring entrepreneurs that want to start companies the ability to commercialize NASA technology, like use their technology to build out your own your own companies, and this is everything from you know high tech software to social media software to agricultural products. They have so many different things that you can use to create your companies, and we were talking about this a little little before the podcast, but you know you have creators and optimizers when it comes to entrepreneurs and everyone wants to be the creator. Everyone wants to have that amazing idea, right? But you might not necessarily be the the person with the amazing idea. You know, you look at a guy like Reggie Brown from Snapchat that most people don't know about. Everyone knows about Evan Spiegel, but Evan Spiegel actually optimized on his idea. And so this allows you the resource to, to help you become that creator potentially. By giving you a set of tool, you know, uh, resources and technologies that you can see and say, wow, I could do this with that without having to like completely start from scratch. And
1: how could people find out more about the technologies that NASA is making available to the public? Yeah. So go to, I got to plug it,
2: technology.nasa.gov slash startup. Again, that's technology.nasa.gov slash startup, or they can hit me up. Um, And we can we can definitely chat. It's something that I'm very passionate about, because especially for underrepresented entrepreneurs, you know, I remember when I was trying to start my first company, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And it it wasn't until like a certain opportunity presented itself where I was like, okay, I'm going to take that. But if I had some resource like that, oh, man, it would have been crazy because it's giving you essentially like, okay. these are products that I can actually use and I can actually commercialize.
0: Yeah, and, and it's super inspiring, not just for entrepreneurs. You got all these people that are focusing on, you know, African Americans and STEM. You have people like United Negro College Fund and all these schools, Telegraph Academy, who we had on the first episode. That's focused on getting people in there. So it's, it's awesome to see, you know, someone like you that's been able to make it up to this point. And touching on background, you know, we talked about how the Black Enterprise lady ta- loved your background and how it's appealing to a wider audience can you take us back to before that and a little bit more about where you grew up and kind of a little bit about that
2: yeah so i grew up in richmond virginia south side 804 you know i don't want to harp harp on it you know i i had you know i came from a lower income background i'm very very typical you know mostly black and latino neighborhood i really didn't see white people like that until i got to to college outside of like the work environment and you know for me Despite growing up poor I didn't feel poor You know I never felt That I didn't have anything Even if we were struggling And we didn't have Food that night Or whatever I knew my friends And my homeboys Going through the same thing You know When I didn't have You know Like it would be summertime And you know I didn't have lunch I just go to my homeboys house And like yo Can I get a sandwich You know Like we, we were in this together Um And so I still had a Really really happy childhood Because you know Um from what I saw, it was pretty normalized and, you know, I was always interested in music, always interested in sports. Um, but the thing that always kind of got my attention was like making money. Like, I love that. I was like, yo, I need to make money. Like, I don't like, not being able to help out my mom. I also didn't like my mom telling me like, oh, you can't do anything unless you got a job. So I was always, are you not paying no bills around here? So I was like, all right, you, you'll see, mom. And so I remember specifically when I was five years old, I mean, not five years old, eight years old, my mom gave me a $5 bill. It was the most money i ever seen in my life. I was like, yo, I'm balling. So i the, the first thing I did was what any kid would probably do is go buy candy. And I went and bought, bought candy and... Uh, I went back to school, you know, I had like bubblegum, gum and, uh, you know, one of my friends was like, hey man, can I have a piece of gum? and stuck his hand out and I was like, nah, like I, I'm not going to give you a piece of gum and he said, I'll give you 50 cents for it and I was like, I just paid 50 cents for this whole pack of gum, you're going to pay me 50, 50 cents and that, that was my first lesson in supply the demand, you know, um, and I was like, it kind of like a light bulb just went off and I said whoa i'm gonna start selling candy so i started selling candy that turned into you know selling cds and dvds as i got older i mean i even sold weed to be honest like anything you know uh to to make money and help Mm -hmm. out my mom and things like that and you know my mom she could see like the the people that i was kind of hanging out with you know the neighborhood i was around like you know uh, you know a lot of gangs a lot of drug dealers i mean that's who i learned a lot of my first like kind of you know how to do business from Mm -hmm. um you know I mean I seen people like I seen people shot right in front of me like you know point blank I just seen so many crazy things it's so crazy how normalized that becomes Mm -hmm. you know um but she saw the types of people like you know I was selling I was selling weed I was you know hanging around certain types of characters and things like that and it's so easy for you to kind of get you know, mixed up in that, and you don't see it as bad. It's just what your homeboys is doing. Your, your yeah. homeboys is is doing this, and it just leads to to more and more. And what you don't realize is that you're on a path to do worse and worse things. You know, where you're like, ah, man, I'm just selling weed. Like, you know, that's that's harmless. Right. You know, and you don't realize that 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 doughboy that was that's on the corner right there that's slinging, you know, crack is is is, is was selling weed two years ago, right? right? The guy that's now like you know, in a gang was selling weed two years ago, you know, and you're on that same path and, and you, sometimes you need that, that intervention. And that intervention was my mother. Mm -hmm. And she saw that she saw me kind of getting in trouble. She saw me doing those Mm -hmm. things. And, uh, she saw a classified ad. I was 14 years old. She saw a classified ad for a junior marketing associate Mm -hmm. for a company called Eastern national. And so she was like, you are taking your ass to this interview. (laughs) And so, (laughs) She so took me to this interview, and I kill it. And like I was like, man, this is easy. Like the questions they were asking me. And, and what was that company? It was Eastern National. Eastern National uh, essentially uh, does all the bookstores mm, right. um, for national parks on the East Coast, but they've downsized a lot um, over the years. But um, essentially, the gift shops, bookstores. Uh-huh. Um, they have an online site where you can you can buy. That's the, the first time I got into like digital marketing was it was working with them. Um, but uh, yeah, so I I did that. And they offered me the job. The job only paid six eighteen an hour. Wow. Six eighteen. <laughs> I remember that because I was like, man, y'all are petty for not paying me six twenty five, six eighteen. You know
0: how met, much money I was making <laughs> hustling the street. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I can make six eighteen an hour way faster time um but uh so i took the job i was 14 years old had to get a work permit um and i worked there for three years you know um learning everything about you know um you know uh everything from digital marketing to like in-store marketing. a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of people that specialize in like in-store type marketing how things are displayed what uh type of products that you're gonna have um have in a store um what the pricing is like there's a lot of different things that goes into like in-store marketing like this is completely in-store design as well
0: we had megan
2: Schofield on the podcast talking about that as
1: well Yeah, Yeah. there's user experience that comes to shopping inside stores like i was watching this documentary a while ago where um at supermarkets, the reason you have to walk all the way back to the like milk and eggs aisle is because they want you to pass through the other aisles. And on, on their way, they have learned that on the way, people will pick up other impulsive buys. Yeah. So there's a lot of psychology that goes into placement. And, yeah. and even when you get to the counter,
0: speaking of selling candy, you yeah. know, you got the, the gum right there at the right. front with the chocolate and everything. Like, the tabloids. Hmm, yeah. Maybe, my, maybe my, my breath stinks a little bit. I might yeah. need to get some of this gum on my way to this date. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: so I was, I was essentially doing like the branding and marketing for six different stores in the Richmond area. Um, and then also laid the the foundation for, um, our first like online digital marketing website for, for Eastern national for people to buy the products that they wanted online. Um, and so that was a really, really great experience. I ended up getting laid off, um, unfortunately, um, after three years, um, and because of that, um, you know, my, you know, my family was struggling at the time and I ended up homeless myself. Um, and it was a really, really tough experience because, you know, I went from like three years of making my own money. Like even when I had, when I had the job with Eastern National, I even worked other jobs, you know, at one point I had three jobs. I was at the grocery store and I was at finish line. I was like working, working, working. And to go from that to having like zero income and, you know, people not giving me, an opportunity and then when you're homeless you know it just makes it harder on you because you don't have a place that you can shower you don't have a fresh haircut you know when you walk in like you know people are like oh how how come you didn't get a job and i'm like do you know what it what it looks like when you walk into a place and your hair is jacked up and you haven't gotten a haircut or the the best shower that you had was in you know a gas station bathroom you know um, and you look so unkempt, you don't have an iron to iron your clothes, it's really, really hard to get a job. You know, you try to stay in a motel or something, and they don't even have an iron in the motel. You're like, what the hell? Like, I just, you know, work my ass off in the streets, you know, to to get a hotel for the night, and they don't even have, you know, uh, an iron in here, like, you know, or anything like that, and so it was really, really uh, tough experience for me, and I was a very, very proud person, so I didn't really like you know, asking for help. I actually lived out of my car. That didn't work. So the the car was parked in the neighborhood. Didn't work. It didn't turn on. Um, and I became homeless during the colder months of the year. And so it was it was definitely a struggle for me. And you know, when I and I haven't never really went too in depth about my time being homeless um, before. And so it's still a, like a really uncomfortable subject for me. Um, but what I will say is that you know, during that time, I learned more about people. Um, you know, what motivates people? What's the downfall of people? Um, you know, seeing, meeting people of different backgrounds and, and really understanding, um, you know, at the end of the day, how grateful you have to be in that even during the times where, I had so little money and we may not have had food on the dinner table, how blessed I was. And that serves so much motivation that if you can get out of that situation. And then also that you're always, you're not always, but whether you realize it or not, so many people are one step away from being homeless. The types of people that I met on the streets um, and some of the people like now I meet on the street, like I live in downtown LA and I talk to them. It's just like, yo, you know, two years ago, I was, you know, an actress and I was doing this or, you know, a couple years ago, I was in the military, man. And, you know, I got discharged. And like, you don't know how close you are and you don't know all the people around you or somebody you may know right now, maybe, maybe homeless. That person that comes over. I remember Going to a friend's house and like trying to hang around a little bit too long. Like, start looking at those signs, you know? Like, that person that you're like, man, why they come over here and like they're always hungry and they, you know, they, yeah. you know, like you don't know what the, those people are going through and you got to be able to look at the signs. And uh, what I will say about my time being homeless
1: is that. And this was back when you were in high school, right? Yeah, back when so I was so high you were, old. You were like, 17, you're young. 17, you're young.
2: 17 years old. And I was still going to high school. So think about this. Think about going from, like, being an athlete, being this cool guy, to coming to school, like, not smelling the best, not looking the best. You know, people like, oh, what's wrong with this weird? Like, what is, yeah. what's going on with this guy? You know? Um, and it was, it was really, really tough. It was really, really tough on me to to balance that and still finish school with, with, with dignity, dignity. And I think that's one of the, the proudest accomplishments that I, that I do have. But what I will say is that during that time, two things happened. One, I used to go to the library a lot because that was a place where I could go for shelter if it was raining and things like that. And I had internet access. And when I was there, um, this is back in 2006, um, you know, I would go online, I'd just go on Yahoo and things like that, and AOL News. And you know, I saw this guy named Mark Zuckerberg, and you know, he had started this company, you know, this website a couple of years ago. And I couldn't even access the website because it was only for college students at that time. And I was like, wait, this guy is how old and he's doing what? Like, it introduced technology to me, it introduced the tech world to me. So even though I was at the lowest point of my life, I don't think if I wasn't going through that would I've ever like would I've discovered it at that time, you know, and it really would have touched me that, you know, we have this image that only, you know, you can only play ball or or, or do music to kind of get out of the hood. And I was like, Whoa, this dude created a website and he's making mm-hmm. how much? You know, like one of the people like people get on, you know, World Star Q from World Star Rest in Peace. But like like this dude was from the hood and he created a multi million dollar website, you mm-hmm. know, like a yeah. black guy, you know, from the hood. And so these are the type of people I was like, "Whoa, this is this is kind of crazy." And number 2 was my ability to understand people from all different types of walks of life. Like most people never get to experience people and understand like the fundamental things that drive people. When you're homeless, you start to understand the fundamental things that really drive people at the end of the day, and you see the best and the worst of people. And that's something that I was glad that I was able to experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What made you, so if you're 17, um, you're a senior in in high school, a lot of people would have either dropped out of high school or they could have taken other jobs, maybe even selling drugs to like support themselves and their family. What made you going? Like what made you turn to, I know you mentioned that in the pre-interview that you graduated top of your class too. So what made you keep going and fighting to do all of those things? I mean, there's
2: been a lot of people in my family that never even graduated high school. And this was always a dream of mine to get to college. I felt like, look, if I can just get through that was like the light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. for me, if I could just get this high school degree, you know, luckily I had. And what was motivating me is that my ex-girlfriend, her dad, he didn't know the situation that I was dealing with, but he actually paid for me to take my SATs and he paid for me to apply to one college. And so to me, that was the one that thing, one shot, that one shot to me outside of like free lunch at school with shout out to free lunch. It's like <laughs> the best, like that's like people like, oh, did you go hungry? I was like, man, I had free lunch Monday through Fridays, <laughs> but wasn't going to say, oh, I'm sorry. But that's what kind of motivated me to continue to go to school. Like it was like, man, like if I can just make it through this year, graduate with this degree and get into college you know, a lot of these issues are going to be solved. And so that's what kept pushing me.
0: And you were the first to go to
2: college in your family, right? Yeah, first first person in my family to go to college. First, first person in my family to drop out of college.
1: But, yeah, it's cool. Hopefully my sister can finish. And what college did you go to? Virginia Tech. Virginia. So it wasn't just any college. It was actually a pretty good school that's hard to get
2: into. Yeah, and I wanted to be an engineer. And, like, it's one of the top engineering schools mm-hmm. um, in the world, in the country. And so, yeah, it was it's a great school yeah. um, to go to i'm actually going back even though i'm a dropout i'm going back to speak be a keynote speaker at yeah. the university next month
1: and i think that's actually a great segue into kind of the next question which is when you look at your career trajectory you've kind of you've dropped out of college you've started your own businesses you've worked for other companies so kind of when you look back at your journey how do you contrast those experiences and would you've done anything differently or like what do you think set you apart and enable you to be where you are today
2: yeah, I think, so I was just talking about this. At, I just spoke at Ohio State University this past weekend, and I talked about, and actually, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Dragon Ball Z. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so Dragon Ball Z, you have a guy named Goku, and you have these people called Saiyans, and they they reach a certain level, which is called Super Saiyan, right? And to become a Super Saiyan, there's a certain Like life experiences that are happening to you that push you over the edge to get to that point. And I think that's been like historically what's happened for me. You know, what pushed me to the point of like even jumping into, you know, entrepreneurism and tech was there were certain factors happening in my life. Like I had to drop out of college when I was 19 to help out my mom. I went and tried to apply to a bunch of jobs. Now, not only did I have that three years of experience at Eastern National, I had one year of experience working as a marketing coordinator for United Way during my first year of college. So I have four years of experience and I was applying to marketing jobs in the Richmond area where I'm from at like, you know, uh, different startups, different companies, you know, we don't really have too much of a startup industry there, but you know, I was getting turned down left and right, left and right. And I was using LinkedIn and I was like, man, I thought LinkedIn was going to be the thing that changed my life. And I was like, why am I, these are entry level jobs, you know, that I'm not receiving And so I said, you know, what, what's up? And so I actually A-B tested it and I created a fake LinkedIn profile. I was created a fake LinkedIn profile with a photo of a white male that was older with literally the same resume. And I sent that out to 10 companies that did not even respond to me, right? Literally the same resume, right? Seven out of those 10 companies responded back asking for an interview. And that made me so angry it made me so angry that at this day and time that like there still can be discrimination and you went
0: super saying on them. Yeah.
2: Like it, not only that, but like, yo, my sister and my mom are depending on me. Like, you know, I gotta make it, you know, I have to figure this out. And it's just like started boiling into me and I just like, man, I have to figure this out, you know? So I got a like a a minimum wage job at Joanne fabrics and then I created my first company and it was like in the event marketing space. And it didn't even start off as, as a tech company. It was, I just wanted to like throw parties because I saw there was like a missing gap for people that were under 21. I remember when I was in 18, how I used to go to teen parties, right? I used to go to teen parties. It was lit, you know, get some twerk. Like it was, it was a lot of fun. Always a Uh, fight though. Always, always (laughs) a fight. Always a fight. And, you know, I said, why can't we do this for the under 21 crowd? Because you go to a lot of places. Like I went to Columbus this weekend if you're not 21 in Columbus like you literally have jack shit to do you know and so i wanted to create experiences and parties for people that were under 21 cuz when you're 18 to 20 you think you're an adult and you want to do something fun but you might not have something to do, something to do so i started creating these parties and events for people to go to and then you know i kind of got influenced by the tech side cuz i wanted to solve issues like people we would like have like professional photographers and stuff like that at our parties but You know they would try to sell their photos like oh sign up and sell our to sell the photos and the people are like man I don't want to do that and so we actually created a website where not only could you see all of our events right but also you could order photos from the events so you could order professional photos that can get sent to your house but also you could buy watermark photos right for one ninety nine that you can make your Facebook profile or put on your Facebook and things like that and buy that digitally and then. We created a ticketing platform, a la Eventbrite, where you could, you know, buy tickets to events because you know you didn't want to ha- necessarily have cash. Like some of our events were like in like rougher areas and things like that, and people knew people were coming to those events, so people would get robbed all the time. And so when people could buy tickets to our events, they didn't have to worry about you know buying cash. They could buy drink vouchers and things like that online. So we were able to solve that issue. And I was able to sell that company a couple of years later. And, you know, just being able to do that and the skills that I learned there is what really, truly helped me break into tech because I applied to startups, you know, before then, you know, I applied to all these different companies and like no one would really, really give me an opportunity or a chance. But it wasn't until I was able to build my first company, sell it, Gain skills like learning search engine optimization, learning ad operations, learning like content marketing and social media marketing. I learned all these skills that now I could put on my resume and actually made me attractive to early stage startups.
0: Yeah, no, I remember doing the same thing when we used to throw parties with Jermaine Dupree's Club Studio 72. Like we made sure we had the best pictures that were branded ATL pics. People made them their profile pictures. So everybody wanted to get one of those. What do you get one of those? Our parties, you run the street teams, you do all these. We had the MySpace Networks running those. That's exactly what you were talking about. A lot of people don't think about that. Related to what you're doing now, You know, I know when we when you talk about the companies that you started, a lot of people don't realize, they think that, they may not know the level of success that you've gotten to with these companies, but why would someone that, well, first of all, talk about the success of the companies maybe, and then talk about why someone that has had the level of success that you've had will go back to working at a startup.
2: Yeah, so I sold my first company, EG, um, which is an event marketing company. And then, you know, I started the second company was Growth Hackers. And Growth Hackers started essentially as a hack for Qualaroo, which is a company I was leading marketing for at the time. And I started with Sean Ellis and a few other guys. And, you know, that website has seen millions and millions of people a year. It's been really, really successful. And because we've been able to build that community, we've been able to build software on top of that. And admittedly so, like I left shortly after like that, the first iteration of that product was built and before it was open to the public. But because of the success that we've been able to build by driving traffic there, we've been able to monetize it by building software product, by being able to build a job board that's super valuable, right? And, And do all these things. And now they're looking into, you know, doing talent solutions because it's so hard to find really, really good marketers and growth people and startups. So that's been really, really successful. The third company was Millicent, which is my marketing firm, and essentially that was created because I was getting so many people coming to me about, "Hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that?" And what people don't realize, like you want to help people, but at the end of the day, it's like, "Yo, I get paid to do this," you know, like you know, show me the money, you know, show me the money. Like I, I don't mind mentoring people, but if you have the resources and the money to pay a marketing consultant, if you're a Series C company asking me for marketing advice like you got to pay up you know and so i created that company and that's been really successful i mean in 2016 we saw our highest yearly revenue that we've done we've grown except for one year we've grown year over year every year in that company so great team remote team and then the fourth company is a company called Growthpup which i'm actually really really excited about Growthpup is a social media software company that is completely white glove and we do it to we use tactics and software to help you grow your audience and your engagement on Instagram I mean we're gonna roll that out for Twitter and Pinterest and a, and a lot of different other products as well and that company has seen minimum 80% growth in monthly recurring revenue since it started last year I mean it's been literally a cash cow I've been so happy with that company and so it's been great and so from a personal perspective, when you look at growth pup, you look at Millicent's you know growth hackers, I'm not making any money off, but that's like kind of like my place in my bet you know for acquisition or whatever but just from Millicent's and growth pub, me from a personal perspective, you know I'm financially good like i i was I had those and then I was also leading growth and product for new products coming out of Microsoft as a consultant so like from a- f- for financial perspective, I have everything and I'm not even trying to brag or flex like I just don't need much you know, whenever you see me, man, I'm in a hoodie and some sweats, man. Like like that's me. Like I don't really need much. And so I think when you get to a certain point of financial success, it's like, you have to ask yourself like, Hey, do I want more money? Like, do I just want to keep making money or do I really want to make an impact on people's lives? And that's what really attracted me to skirt. Some of the things that I was saying before is, you know, at this point in my life, I want to do things that truly, truly impact people's lives. It's not about the money. It's not about you know, any of that or that personal stuff. And, you know, to me, it's a it's a real challenge. It's one of, if not the most challenging thing that I've had to tackle. And so that's what really, really motivates me every day. Like I love Growth Up, I love Millicent I love my companies, but they don't really motivate me. Like it's like, cool, I make money off these things, but it doesn't really motivate me to jump up and get up every day. And skirt is something that motivates me. Every day to get up because I know that I'm impacting people's lives. Oh, dope. Yep.
1: Yeah. So at this point in our podcast, we do the lightning round, and okay. this is where uh, you might have heard it from other interviews that we've had with other guests. But this is where Arthur Rubin and I will ask you uh, several questions. So try to give us specific tactics, strategies, or resources that you've used to uh, get to where you are today. Cool. Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So imagine you're starting from scratch again. You just moved to a brand new city. You don't know anyone you have $100 and you're trying to get to the place where you are now, what would you do and how would you spend that
2: $100? Yeah. So first of all, like I'm going to mitigate all my costs. There's things like couchsurfing.com. I'm a great people person and I know people from all over. So there's going to be a huge, huge possibility of me knowing, knowing somebody in that area. But if not, I'm going to couchsurf and I'm going to couch surf wisely, you know, and and when you couch surf, you can see things about people. I want to connect with people that are entrepreneurial, connect with people that are in that startup realm. And I really don't want to have to spend money at all. The first thing that I'm going to do is once I have a place to stay is that all right? I need some income and I don't care where that income comes from. I'm humble enough to go anywhere. So like, even if I have to go to McDonald's and lie on my resume and say, I don't have all this experience and I just have like, a high school degree, and I worked at like some grocery store or whatever I have to do. Like, I'm going to do that so they give me a job so I can have some type of income, right? So that I can actually take care of myself. And then once I do that, then I want to really infiltrate the startup and tech community. And that's all you need to do is go to your local library, find internet access, and find out what's going on and connect with people. And when you connect with people and you actually have built a skill set, here's the thing. No matter what happens in my life, I've built a skill set that no matter what happens, I will be able to find work and I will be able to contribute. So always think about that. Think about where you are now, and that if you were in this position where you only had a100 dollars and you had nothing else and you had to go find a job and someone to take a chance on you would that, right? And if you take the time to build those hard skills and also those soft skills that are required in a company, that companies will find resourceful, I mean, will find useful, then you will be good at the end of the day. And I feel like doing that, doing those steps, I'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. Let's take it back to
0: when you first became homeless, 17 years old. Your story definitely has a lot of ups, a lot of downs. You know, we talk a lot about things that motivate us, get us, help us break through these situations. I mean, the question we like to ask is, was there a piece of music or a movie that you watched that helped you kind of like, you know, I mean, clearly Dragon Ball Z was one of them, but like yeah. any type of music that helps you break through one of those downtowns.
2: Yeah, it's a song called History by Jay-Z and it really centers on, you know, someone's, you know, chasing like that moment where they can finally like succeed. And like, you know, he says in the first lines, in search of victory, she keeps eluding me, you know, and it, you get so down on yourself because it's like, man, like, I try to do everything right. I try to, you know, continue to push myself and make things happen. And like, it seems like nothing ever works out. And so that song was really, really inspirational for me and kept me moving forward. And a weird one is actually the Rocky Four training montage. Yeah. When he's <laughs> uh, when he's training to fight, you know, you know oh. Alvin Drago and, uh, you know, his homeboy just died. I don't know. Like that shit makes no sense, but that gets me so hype. I don't yeah. know what it is. I used to listen, look, look at that joint on YouTube before, like basketball and football games and stuff like that. And still to this day, it still gets me hype and gets me motivated. So yeah, it's that's that's a weird thing about me. No, the Rocky
0: theme music is definitely motivating. Yeah, I like, yeah. I
2: like it. And it's Rocky Four though. It has to be Rocky Four though. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Rocky Four.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I actually have two questions. Okay. So the first one was is. So if, if you had to give advice to your younger self, let's say you were 19, 20 years old, what would that advice be? And the second question is, you mentioned to the $100 question that you would advise someone to break into tech and startups. So as you're giving yourself that advice, would you still want yourself to break into tech? And if so, then why? Man, if I could go back to my younger self,
2: I wouldn't even start eighteen, nineteen. 18, 19. I started like 13 14 would be like yo go find Mark Zuckerberg now and go find him right now and say I want to be a part of this uh, I wish I could I that's the one thing that you know is kind of missing is is really building a company at that scale and seeing what that really looks like and I would love to be a part of that but also if I could go back to like being realistic talking to my 18 19 year old self one it's like one I'll definitely tell him to keep his head up like things are gonna get better. I was going through a lot of rough things at that time and it just seemed like you know I would get one win and then two steps back you know like I overcome being homeless getting college and then boom I have to drop out of college so that was tough but also like you know go ahead and chase that dream and like go out to Silicon Valley learn 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 when I sold my first company I undersold my company by so much because I didn't know the value of myself and I didn't know the value of my company so know your worth know your worth and if I had been in Silicon Valley and had been building what what we were building, I would have been able to sell that company for a lot more. But it's like that knowledge base that you gain, right, being out here. And I wish I came out here at an early age. I didn't come out to the West Coast until I was 23 years old. I felt like I was kind of late, late to the game. And if I go back to my 18, 19-year-old self, and this is to people that are in college, like college is for some people, like it's great to have. Like I tell people all the time, dropping out of college is literally trying to Walk the tightrope of life without a safety net under, right? Like at least with college, you, you're walking that tightrope. Everyone has to walk the tightrope, but if you fall, at least you have that safety net. And it takes a special type of person to to take that risk. And I am that type of person, so I would have definitely like stayed out of college and and try my my shot over in Silicon yeah. Valley. So
1: why? What do you think makes Silicon Valley special in this day and age? Why do you think people should be looking at startups or technology? as their future career, perhaps? I mean, technology is the future, man. And like, if you don't get
2: with it, you better get with it soon. You need to be able to find
1: your value
2: and how much you can impact tech companies. Automation is coming and it's about to take away a lot of jobs. I mean, even myself, like I look at, I started marketing back in 2004, right? You know, it's 2017 now. Some of the things that I was doing that I saw people actually have jobs doing in marketing, those have been eliminated, completely eliminated. And so if you don't learn this tech industry now and learn how you can provide value in that tech industry, the jobs that you're working right now may
1: not exist.
2: And so you really need to to jump, you know, you know, foot forward into to the yeah. tech industry. And it's
1: evolving skill sets as well. Like you yeah. mentioned that something that was relevant 10 years ago, if you're someone who's, Kind of used to the traditional educational model where you go ahead, you learn something for years, and then you do that thing for the next 10. Like that doesn't work anymore. There's technology disrupting a lot of things. You're required to be learning constantly, right? And you can probably attest to that of being in growth, being in marketing. There's new tools coming out, new approaches. If something worked for you five years ago, that doesn't, that's probably not going (laughs) to work even a year ago. Even a year ago. So, in marketing that's super more but also other types of jobs as well like if you think that and i think that's actually interesting that you brought up that if you're in college there's a sense of a safety net but if you actually look closely having a college degree is no longer providing that safety net that people are used to because let's say you graduate with a sociology degree or some degree that's maybe in the past was able to get you an entry level job nowadays these jobs are gone like if you look around it's there's college students looking for Entry level jobs and they can get the interviews. So that's something to keep in mind. That don't just rely on the educational model to provide you with a so called safety net. And you should be thinking outside the box. You should be analyzing your people around you and look at your value proposition and what you could offer to companies. And that should be the number one go like your top of mind for anyone who wants to get a job is what can you bring to the table, right? And those and,
0: those cards. Hard skills and soft skills. Because a lot yep. of times people focus on left brain things and don't realize that the right brain things and whole brain things are actually what develops that leadership and those people that are set apart that know how to negotiate, know how to tell their story and get to the next level.
2: Yeah. The the one thing you have to realize is that it's super easy to replace somebody with that only has hard skills. Like I can find another you, but it's those soft skills that make people mm-hmm. harder and harder to replace.
0: Yeah. No, that's that's a good point. Related to tools and online resources and things like that, something you mentioned in the beginning was about Twitter being one of your most valuable things. Can you talk about that and then any other online resources that are super important for you that you use as a marketer on a day-to-day?
2: Yeah, on a day-to-day, obviously Twitter, I think to be able to stay relevant and informed on what's going on in the world and to be able to do something what what we call newsjacking. So like say there's something like a certain thing going on in the world, like we can do a promo code like yo this code right and and get free delivery today because this is going on so really really staying informed and and being up to date with pop culture and things like that is extremely important because one thing that i see with a lot of people you know i'm i'm the LA kid in the tech scene but a lot of people in silicon valley they're thinking they're so obsessed with what's going on in silicon valley and they don't realize what's going on in the outside world and they're building products that only people in Silicon Valley are going to think cool or or, or want to download and things like that, and so you have to make sure that you're stepping outside of where you, who you you know where you are and and what's going on around you. And Twitter is an important tool for that. Also, like I said, growthhackers.com. I check that every day. I'm always trying to, to stay informed and stay on top of my game. That's extremely extremely important. And every day, like. Not every day, but most weeks I'm taking Udemy courses. Like the last course I was taking was a SQL course because I know Skirt is gonna to get to a to a level where we're gonna have, you know, a lot of our own data and being able to query that data and things like that and not having to rely on an engineer to make SQL queries and things like that. And so for me to learn that now and kind of be ahead of the curve is extremely important. Like I'm always trying to still build on my skill set, I'm not like comfortable. A lot of people think like, oh, you've gotten to this point. Like you're, you're comfortable. No, like I'm still, Mm -hmm. still trying to learn constantly. And then outside of that, man, I'm a big app guy. And so I have everything from Stripe to Google analytics and all these different analytics apps on my phone. And I'm constantly able to look at that data and, Mm -hmm. and study that data and learn more about my users, learn more about, How to look at data and use that creatively.
0: And something else that we talked about too—that's
2: all good insight—is personal
0: brand. You know, when you're a great marketer, a lot of times you're not just really good at doing that as from a company perspective, but you yourself are a public figure. I mean, you've written all these magazines. You're working at this company. A new article is coming out every week about you, whatever. But like, how does that affect you at work? Does that make other people jealous? Does it make your people think that you're distracted at work and not focused on building skirt? Like. How do you manage that?
2: Yeah. So I've actually had an experience and I won't air out the company, but I've actually had an experience where I've had, you know, someone not completely comfortable with, you know, my personal brand and things like that. And you really look at my career. I know you listen to like the rich 20 some podcast. Like if you really look at like the articles and things about me, they didn't exist pre 2015. Like, I was all about being being heads down, all about working on my companies. I didn't believe in working on your personal brand, but interestingly enough, I had a kid that's is at Virginia Tech that wanted to write on me and on that blog post. And when he wrote that blog post, it was the first time someone like wrote solely about me. I got a few leads to my marketing firm. And I was like, wait, this is just like a small student run blog. And I actually made money off of this. And then, you know, when that story was put out there and I put that out there. Then, you know, Black Enterprise and and these other or you know, publications came out there and wanted to write on me and I saw direct return on investment on my company and business and it made me look at, you know, personal branding completely different. And so now I look when I do anything, I look at how is this going to impact my company? You know, there's a reason I'm on this podcast right now. You guys are killing it. You got a lot of people that are listening to this podcast. I love you guys, you guys are my friends, Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, this is business, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to use this to utilize, you know, we want to launch San Francisco eventually. There's a ton of people now that are going to know about Skirt. Um, mm-hmm. And so I look at that ROI and I'm at a place at Skirt One where they know that everything that I'm doing is for the business and contributing back to the business at the end of the day. And so I think I found a really, really good culture that understands that and supports that. You know, when the NASA thing came out, like I I hit up Harry Hurst, who's one of the founders. And I was like, hey, like, yo, is this cool? Like I'm and he's like, man, like I'm super supportive of you and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really good to be in that environment. And I do understand most people don't have that environment. And I try to warn people that if you are trying to build a personal brand, do understand that people are naturally jealous. People are going to think that you're distracted. People are going to think that that's taken away from your work. And you just got to go that much harder and kill it, you know, and, and make things happen. Be the first person in the office, the last person out, you know, and and really, really show them that hey, like you guys, every day, like hey, we're here at six a.m., you know, recording this podcast. This isn't taking away from what we're doing, and so yeah, man, it's it's all about finding the right culture and environment for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. And as long as you put on put on those numbers on the board. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. are you gonna say? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah <laughs> awesome. You see these numbers, man. <laughs>
0: Exactly. So, so what are we gonna expect for plans in the future? Like, aside from skirt, I mean, obviously, we're gonna see you take skirt to the next level. But you know, what are your plans for the future? What are you preparing for that? And how can people get in touch with you?
2: Yeah. So, you know, my big dream is actually starting an incubator in in my hometown and in, in a VC firm in my hometown of Richmond, Virginia. So, you know, coming from Richmond, there isn't a lot of opportunity, especially within the urban communities. And I want to be able to create an incubator to really support not only underrepresented people, but people that come from different backgrounds and things like that. You know, I was just talking to a guy who, you know, is, you know, military, he's older and, you know, Mm -hmm. he wants to get into tech, but who's going to fund a guy like that? Who's going to really like support him without any type of tech background and things like that. Those are the type of people that I really want to support Mm -hmm. in my hometown, of Richmond, Virginia, and not only help underrepresented people, but also be able to breathe life into the to the startup community in my hometown, create jobs, create, and create dreams, most importantly. You know, a lot of people in my hometown, they see me and they're like, whoa, ever's killing it. But every day they got to go back to the same stuff every day. You know, they see that, like, they might see me on the internet, but it's like not close to home. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be able to bring that right there every day that they can see that in the community that they see people creating companies and doing amazing things. And I want to be able to do that in my hometown. So that's the goal.
0: That's dope. And how can people get in touch with you? So
2: <laughs> you can go to 21.co slash Everett. So that's a it's a platform where you can email me. If you need the code, email me. And uh, all the money will be donated. It's $20. And that money will be donated to Black Girls Code. Mm-hmm. I get a ton of code emails. It's hard to keep up with. But if you email me there, I will definitely reply back to that because it's going to a, a cause that I really, really support. And then also like I'm on social everywhere at Everett, E-V-E-R-E-T-T.
0: And the the last thing that I was going to say is uh, thinking about Virginia Tech and everything like that. Do you remember the name of that first reporter that wrote that article about you?
2: Yeah, I do, man. And he's a really amazing guy. His name is Sonny Murthius and uh he's still in college now and he's super supportive man and like i think he might have been like a freshman in college when he freshman or sophomore in college when he wrote it and uh yeah he he found me on twitter and like twitter again and you know he wanted to write and that literally you know started everything yeah
1: and it's amazing that someone nowadays someone in college could write a blog post to share with his friends about someone like you and it turns him into an influencer and it also has an impact on someone like you who's had a lot of who sold their company and has, has achieved a lot, but it just shows that you have you have more a lot more power than you think you do. And nowadays, with social media, with blogging, like putting yourself out there and sharing your thoughts could potentially turn you into this like overnight sensation. So definitely take a close look at that, and we definitely encourage everyone to share their experiences online. Now, now that you recorded this podcast and are. Uh,
0: Launching a bunch of new marketing campaigns. Maybe we could circle up with him and do a refresher.
1: Yeah,
2: that'd be great. <laughs> but the one last thing I want to say is that at the end of the day, like even if it's small opportunities, take that opportunity because it will lead to bigger opportunities. I had friends that tell me that, oh, this like uh, this blog wants to write about me. Like they're small, they're nothing. Like I'm like, man, like take that opportunity. Even the smallest thing, take that time because you don't know who you're gonna reach.
0: Yeah, and to your point, like. You know, you said you wanted to reach that military veteran or somebody that's like not the traditional background that you would expect. Like they're not reading TechCrunch. They're reading other publications and maybe that small blog that will reach them. And so when you think about marketing, you got to think about all kinds of different channels. So, dope. Thanks for yeah, coming and great joining having us. having you. And yeah, um,
1: we'll definitely have you on again to hear what you're up to next. Yeah, man. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.